This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. All right, so we're starting the book of Romans here. A um, couple of introductory remarks um, before we start. The book I'm using is, or one of the resources I'm using, is a book called The Mystery of Romans by a gentleman by the name of Mark Nanos. Um, he's also written a book on Galatians. Um, and he looks at, I, I don't know that, in fact, I, I don't believe he is messianic, but he looks at Paul as if the letters from, of Paul are conversations within the Jewish community. In other words, he explicitly rejects the idea that Paul is setting up a new religion. He explicitly rejects the idea that Paul is anti-Semitic. He explicitly rejects the idea that Christianity, as understood by Paul, is something other than a sect of Judaism. So he sees Paul's letters as conversations either between Paul and synagogue people or Paul and Gentiles in the context of the synagogue. And it all is with respect to Paul is a faithful Jew who is teaching Judaism to Gentiles. Okay, so that's his perspective and I agree with it. The letter to the Romans, one of the things that you have to have is some background here. Um, the, the, the letter is odd because it starts off, greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, and now you so-and-sos, and he just launches into this tirade on sinfulness and all that, and he's like, what? You know? <laughs> and so one of the things that is useful to figure out is why the letter is being written. What will often be taught is that this is sort of Paul's grand theological statement toward the end of his career, where Paul is sitting down and, and systematically setting out his theology as a, uh, as a thesis, if you will. Uh, Nanos does not, agree, does not believe that, and I agree with him. This is a letter to a community to solve a problem and to communicate about something. It is not a, like a, you know, a paper that you would write in an academic paper where you're writing this academic position paper and you sort of blast that off into the ether of, you know, this is what my opinion is on this particular subject and here you are. This is a conversation and that, that's a very different uh, take on it, if you will. My take on what's going on, which is very much in harmony with what Nanos' take is, but is not quite precisely the same, uh, is you have to understand Romans in the context of the Roman Empire. 
no pun intended. In other words, the fact that the letter happens to be to a church in the city of Rome, the letter could be to any church anywhere in the Roman Empire, but it is written in the context of Imperial Rome. And the thing to understand about Imperial Rome is they didn't much care who you worshipped as long as you also worshipped the empire, emperor. And the worship of the emperor was a loyalty test. So as they would absorb uh, peoples in the conquest of their, of their empire, they didn't go out and try and convert anybody to anything. In other words, whatever your religion was, was just fine as long as you didn't scare the horses and as long as you would uh, give fealty to Caesar. And the way you gave fealty to Caesar is, at you know, various times and various places it was different, but you would go to a temple and you would make a token sacrifice to the emperor. emperor. And the Senate would deify a dead emperor. So, for example, when, when, when Julius died, he was deified by the Senate. So his son then became the son of God. Okay, that was an official title of the emperor. So when Paul and Yeshua are coming in and claiming to be, and Yeshua claiming to be the son of God, this is a one-on-one, head-to-head, we're going right at the imperial cult. Okay, because Yeshua is the son of the one true living God, and the fact that the Roman emperor claims, claims to be a son of God also, you, you've got this head knocking that's set up right up front. So when you're talking about the gospel, you need to understand what gospel you're talking about because there is a Roman gospel. And the Roman gospel is that the son of God, Caesar, has come to bring peace. Okay? And so when Paul and the apostles say, the Son of God, Yeshua, has come as the king of the world. This is a direct confrontation to the imperial cult. And you need to understand that. The other thing to understand is that the Jews, as far as I know, were the only people who had an exemption to worshiping the, the imperial cult. So they were what was described as a religio licita, which is a licit religion as opposed to illicit which is in our vocabulary today so they are in a state the jews are a state approved religion who does not have to worship and sacrifice to caesar and this is an official dispensation that they have so the problem that you have in all of the mixed synagogues in the empire and especially in the capital city of rome is you've got these gentiles who have come to faith in god through Yeshua, they've got the Holy Spirit, and you know they, they, they pop up and say, wait a minute, I can't be sacrificing to Caesar now. And the empire says, uh, you don't look Jewish to me. You know, flip up your toga and let's take, a, let's take a check here. Okay, so if you are not a Jew, and if you are not worshiping at the cult of Caesar, you are a traitor. And the penalty for treason is crucifixion. So you have then this tension in the synagogue. Because what you've got is you've got a mixed group of believers. You've got three, three basic groups in the synagogue. Okay? And the first group are 
plain old standard garden variety Jews who do not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Otherwise, just perfectly devout sons of Abraham going to synagogue, doing all the synagogue Jewish stuff, but they do not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Then you have Jews such as Paul who are also born of Abraham, circumcised on the eighth day, card-carrying Jews who believe that Yeshua is the Son of God. Paul is an example of that, but there were lots of others. And then the third group that you've got are Gentiles who have come in, listened to the word of God, and said, this is the one true living God. Yeshua is his Messiah. Where do I sign up? Okay? So in this mixed group, what you have are tensions. Because you've got the traditional Jews who are looking at people such as Paul, and with those guys, we've got a theological dispute here, right? Because you remember Paul was given a commission by the, uh, the Pharisaic courts to go grab people who followed the way, which is to say they believed that Yeshua was the Messiah, bring them in, throw them in prison. So you've got a theological dispute going on within the synagogue among Jews those who are circumcised, those who are born of Abraham, if you will. And then you got this group of Gentiles that don't know nothing except we got the Holy Spirit. And they don't, they don't know nothing, they don't know how to behave, they don't know how to do anything, but we got the Holy Spirit. So Paul is writing this letter into that mix. And as you read the letter, you'll see at various times in the letter, he addresses himself to people who were born Gentiles. He addresses himself to people who were born Jewish. And he's got messages for both of those groups of people. And understand that part of the tension here is if those who were born Gentile get out of line, those who were born Jewish will put them out of the synagogue. And at that point, they become fair prey to the Roman civil authorities for not sacrificing to Caesar. So, so you can't really understand Paul except in the context of all of this stuff that is going on. And what I'm suggesting to you, and, and Nano says the same thing, is this letter is not so much a theological treatise. In other words, where Paul sits down with a nice clean sheet of 8 by 11 paper in front of himself and, you know, and starts to write his theology down for posterity. No, no, no. This is a letter. And it's a letter to that, into that mess that I have just described. And one of the things that he's saying is, I'm getting ready to come and visit you, and I want to preach the gospel. And hey, you Gentiles, don't be behaving in such a way that you screw up my presentation of the gospel. I say it so made sense? Because one of the things that happens to the church is, as it became more and more Gentile, until the Sunday church is now virtually entirely Gentile, what it's done is it's turned off and driven away the Jews. And so one of the admonitions very early on in the letter is, hey, Gentiles, you need to make sure that you don't pollute the water so that when I come in and preach the gospel, none of the Jews will listen to me. So all of this stuff is going on. So, so as we read the letter and we talk about it, be sensitive to what I'm what I've explained is the, is the uh, 
political, if you will, political not just in a Roman Empire sense, but political in a church sense. You got church politics, you got empire politics. They're both political. And so you need to be sensitive to the politics as you listen to the letter. And part of the difficulty in the letter is figuring out who's being talked to and talked about. Because again, this is a conversation that, if you will, we're sort of eavesdropping on and we don't know any of the personalities. So in some cases, we've got to make an intelligent guess as to who's being referred to here. Because in, in the middle of the letter, he talks about the weaker brethren. Well, who are they? Well, everybody that reads it assumes it's somebody else. Right? Okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> that ain't going to work. So one of the things that we'll try and do as we go through this letter is we'll try and pick that stuff apart and figure out who he's talking about. The other thing we're going to find that's going to be a problem is this thing, I don't know if it was actually originally written in Greek, just, just don't know the answer to that. But the use of the word law is done in several different contexts. Sometimes he is talking about the law of Moses, the Torah. Sometimes he is talking about the law of sin and death, which is not the Torah. Sometimes he's talking about what we would call natural law or human nature. And one of the things that's difficult as you read through this is when you see the word law, just exactly what are we talking about here? And you need to figure that out from context. And, and a lot of people who have read Paul who have taken the word law to just, and, and I've argued with them, who have taken the word law in all cases to mean Torah, come away with a different understanding of what Paul is saying than what I come up with. Okay, so again, that's something that we will all need to be sensitive to as, as we go through this. And, you know, you can't tell a player was off the program. So as we go through this, if you wait, wait, what are we talking about here? Because Paul also, God bless him, loves compound sentences. So as we go through this, I will try and keep that stuff as straight as I can. But two things. One is communication is at least 50% your responsibility. So if I don't do a good job and you don't understand what we're talking about, wave your hand and say so. And the second part of that is, I may not be right. So just because I think that's what it says doesn't mean that's what it says. And if you have a different opinion, by all means, jump up and wave your arms and, and we'll thrash our way through it.